It shouldn't surprise anyone exactly how much I love sci-fi and fantasy. But my first love is space opera. Technically, it's science fantasy space opera where we get to run off and do crazy things with crazy people. You know, just some crazy kids having some crazy adventures. So why do I love space opera? Why do I love science fantasy? And more importantly, why is it so popular? It is, after all, one of the largest genres around right now. Star Wars. Which, yes, I do believe is kind of a genre of its own right now. Let's discuss that on today's Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my latest book, Crucify My Love. And I want to say thank you to everyone. Thanks to you, I'm trying some new recording software. So hopefully the podcast sounds better to you and hopefully we can get that quality up because I really want this to be the best experience that I can get it for you. So hopefully I sound better. I would love to know what you think. And yeah. So today we're going to be talking about space opera because, you know, it's something that I love to talk about and it's something that I'm currently working on. And, uh, you know, with Star Wars just kind of dominating everything that I'm thinking about right now with the Mandalorian and soon the rise of Skywalker, I'm very excited to see exactly what's going to be happening going forward. Uh-huh. I'm nervous. Some of the early reviews are out for the... That's a topic for another day. Anywho, before we get started, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community. The bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually communicating with each other. And after all, that's why I do this in the first place. Thank you so much to everyone who's already done that. So, space opera. Hmm. See, I'm calling it space opera more than I am science fantasy because while they're not technically synonymous terms, whereas a space opera is basically an action-adventure story that takes place in space, more broadly, and a science fantasy is a uh, sci-fi story that has fantastical elements, They've become so intertwined with very few exceptions that I find it hard to talk about one without talking about the other. And more people are familiar with the concept of space opera, and it's generally associated with something like Star Wars. So all of that science fantasy baggage, if you will, comes along with it. So to me, well, I guess I shouldn't say to me, I think to the average person, those two phrases, those two concepts are synonymous with each other. So what is it? Well, space opera gets its name from soap operas. It really does. It's melodramatic action in space. And while that may not sound like a surprise to anybody who's actually been a fan of this genre, which would include such things as 
you know, your Buck Rogerses, your uh, <laughs> Flash Gordons, your Star Warses. And I would even throw in Star Trek, because depending on the series, I think it kind of goes back and forth between being either a space opera or a military sci-fi story. And it just kind of hops back and forth. And often within a series, it'll do that from episode to episode. It'll kind of pick the subgenre that it wants to be. And in a lot of ways, that's one of the great strengths that Star Trek has always had. While there aren't a lot of hard and fast rules for the genre, though some people will argue with me on that, and I have nothing against them, especially if they want to apply a lot of rules. Technically, when you look at what a space opera is, it is a high concept or action adventure type story that takes place in space. Now, it doesn't have to be exclusively in the stars. But generally, we have starships, we have more than one planet, and we get to explore everything, more or less, through the eyes of our heroes, of those characters who are running around, wild in space, trying to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. And that can vary wildly. Space opera, unlike some galactic empire fiction, for example, which Star Wars could also be included in, does not require having an evil empire. It doesn't require having good guys and bad guys either. Technically, when you look at the origins of the genre, all that it required is a melodramatic or over-the-top setting. And I have come to despise both of those terms because more than not, they're used to dismiss fiction. They're used to throw out things that are perfectly fine and perfectly fun because Oh, there's too much emotion in it. Oh, there's too much this, there's too much that. Well, that's, in a way, the joy of space opera. When you're running around, gallivanting in space, you want to be free. You want to set yourself apart. And this, for me, is what really sets science, um, space opera apart from your standard science fiction. So, in your standard science fiction story, for something to be science fiction, it has one basic requirement put on it. It has to, has to extrapolate from what we currently understand about science and have one of those scientific theories, one of those scientific ideas as a core component to the plot. Now, that can be iterated in countless different ways, but it, that is a requirement of science fiction. So simply telling a story that takes place in the future is not technically science fiction. And depending on how hard or soft you want to interpret that rule, which is why we have both hard science fiction and soft science fiction, we could ask questions about whether something like Ready Player One, for example, is science fiction or science fantasy. Because VR is a thing, and most of the technology that it relies on is extrapolated from what we currently have, and the technology itself plays a pivotal role to in the plot and how the plot actually works itself out. So it technically checks all of the science fiction boxes. Whether we put that in hard or soft science fiction, 
I want to leave that up to you because that's that's a debate that I really don't like getting involved in at all whatsoever, ever. But beyond that, when we look at something like a Star Wars, we could try to put it into the science fiction box by saying that the Death Star is a technological device that exists in the story that is integral to the plot and thus makes it... Sci no. No, it doesn't work. We could make a better argument, perhaps for the droids, that they are what make it science fiction, because, well, robotics is a thing, and they are definitely integral to the plot, especially of A New Hope, the very first Star Wars. But... Again, that's not really what we're after. You see, the basic misunderstanding that a lot of people have when they're talking about genre itself is that sci-fi, which is why I say sci-fi, and science fiction are different. Sci-fi has the trappings of technology. It has the trappings of science fiction, but isn't actually science fiction. Most audiences either are not fans of or don't like science fiction. Science fiction itself is not a popular genre. You look at the box office returns for something like, for example, The, the Arrival, which I would put into definitely, definitely into the science fiction realm, which looks at the question of how the languages that we know influences our understanding of the world around us. That is a technological question, that is a science question, and the entire plot and storytelling mechanisms revolve around that to the point where you can't have that story without that bit of science. But see, once you add in the force, then we're definitely in the world of science fantasy because I don't want to get into whether or not there are supernatural, preternatural, or any other kinds of powers in the universe, because that's not what we're here to discuss right now. Generally speaking, that is not something... Actually, I just say it this way. It's not even generally speaking. Science itself does not accept those things being in existence. Whether that's right or wrong, not the point right now. So, to say that we are extrapolating off of current understandings to include something like the Force, which is kind of more integral to the story than even the science is. I mean, for the first one, that's how we defeat the Death Star. For the second one, we wouldn't have the Dagobah plot or Luke going to save his friends without it. And, well, that's the whole argument in Return of the Jedi, isn't it? So, that bit of magic changes everything, and also changes the genre we're in. So why am I quibbling about all this? Why does it matter that we know what space opera is? Well, one, it matters a lot to me because I'm currently writing several. <laughs> Technically, I'm writing one, but I'm also writing a novella, maybe a series of no novellas or novelettes that will precede it and some short stories and whatnot. And so it's very important that I know, but <laughs> that's not why it's important for the rest of us to know. It's because I think what makes space opera and science fantasy more popular than hard science fiction is that it gives a realm for the imagination to play in. You see, this is one of the things that we have to be very careful about when we're trying to bring logic and reason into the work that we do. 
We as human beings are not logical or rational beings. We're not. Even what we consider to be logic is, is filtered through our own emotional state and through a just bewildering series of biases before we get to what we consider actual logic. So we're not actually capable of being purely rational beings, no matter how much we want to pretend otherwise. And so in our fiction, we tend to want the irrational to show up. We tend to want an imaginative escape that breaks from the ordinary and shows us a world at least slightly different than our own, if not entirely different than our own. Think about it. The way relationships work in novels is not exactly the way that they work in real life, because it would be boring. Nobody wants that chapter of the people just sitting around watching TV and nothing going on. Granted, you can write that scene, and as long as there's an appropriate amount of subtext in the dialogue, yeah, maybe it could still be exciting and entertaining. As far as film goes, I think the show Atlanta has shown how that very thing can work very well and be extremely compelling. But for the most part, we don't want our fiction to mirror real life. We want it to be a heightened version, a simplified version of real life. Because life, for the most part, is boring. Life, for the most part, is dull. And, well, we go to entertainment. I know this is going to be a shocker when I say it, so brace yourself to be entertaining. And that entertainingness, that quality of entertainment that we're able to derive from the works that we're participating in, from the works that we are, I don't want to say studying, because that's really not the right word, but the works that we are enjoying, it has to be there. That heightened element, that something different, that something out of the ordinary. Because if it isn't, what's the point? And I know what you're thinking. Well, but there's slice of life fiction and people really enjoy that. But yes, that slice of life fiction for the most part is about a moment of significance in some way. I've read slice of life fiction about somebody just doing the dishes for the sake of doing the dishes and it's boring. It's there's nothing there there. It's one of the great experimental quandaries that we can get ourselves into if we want to try to make the mundane exciting. But I think personally, for my money and my time, my energy and my effort, I want to go where the imagination wants to go. And locking ourselves down to the strictly rational or the strictly mundane is a constraint that most authors don't allow in their fiction, no matter how rational or science-based they claim that it is. Because there's always going to be some element of Mm, let's say, decision that has to be made based on the preconditions and pre-predilections, let's, let's just leave it at that, of the writer making that piece of media. And so whatever we're going to be doing, it is going to be filtered through those biases and through that irrational wall that exists in our basic human minds regardless of how rational we want it to be. And the end result is never going to be something rational. It just isn't. That isn't how we work. And in a lot of ways, that's one of the things that makes the human species 
so much fun and so entertaining for the most part. We get to explore irrational worlds. We get to sit back and debate the magic of something like Princess Mononoke and revel in the magic that we find in all of Miyazaki's work. The rationality of those pieces really doesn't come into it. My Neighbor Totoro is a brilliant, almost surrealist masterpiece of exactly how a child perceives illness and how a child perceives the world. But on the same, in the same way, it is comforting and helpful to us as adults to watch that and to experience that and remember that not necessarily innocence or naivete, because that's where people get very confused about this. It's that openness that while things may appear a certain way in, on, on their face, sometimes, and more often than not, there's a deeper something behind it. And that's one of the things that makes for the popularity of these mad genres like space opera. We want to escape, but more than that, we want to investigate the deeper realms of our own lives and our own psyches. We want to experience the world beyond the mundane, beyond the work that we have to do every day, and the friendships that are just normal and average and just are what they are. We want to go deeper. We want to explore and really dig deep to find that great joy in life that we had as children, at least many of us did. That's the joy of space opera and space fantasy and why we seek it out. Not because we want to be naive again, not because we want to be innocent again, but because we want to recapture the joy that we have lost because of the distractions of the world, the irrational, illogical strictures that our modern, I'm going to say the word, you're waiting for it, weren't you? Capitalist system has placed upon us. The idea that we have to work for everything, that nothing is there for us. We go back to that simpler time when we could actually explore our dreams and try to be the best us that we could be. And in doing that, we remember what life could be like. And that magic, that magic that we had when we were children is something that we want to have again as adults and that we are striving to have. And while the world denies it to us because of its cold, calculating, money-grubbing and greedy exterior. We know that deep down, our friends will always be with us. We know deep down that we will find joy somewhere in this world. We know deep down that there is a place where we can let our imaginations run free and we can experience the deeper mysteries of life without any of the confines and constraints that others want to place upon us. And when we look out into the vastness of space, what better place is there for us to paint our images of the wider world than in the great darkness between the stars, where our mind can shine the light beyond all reason and rationale 
and allow new worlds to open up for us to explore. It is a brilliant place to go. And if you've never tried out a space opera, I, I highly recommend that you do, but I find that hard to believe because hasn't everybody seen Star Wars by now? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did and you haven't already, please take a moment to rate it in whatever app you're listening to me on. I hope the podcast sounds better. I've really been working hard to improve the quality and thanks to all your loving support. We're using some new software that hopefully will get us to that next plateau of quality so everything sounds as good as it possibly can. On that note... Thank you to everybody who's who has made this podcast what it is. If you haven't and you have a buck that you can pass my way, in the show notes you'll find a link to the listener support and to the um, to my Patreon. Just as little as a dollar a month really does help out a lot to make this podcast better for you and to give me more time to do the work that, well, frankly, it appears that y'all want me to be doing. So thank you to everyone who's done that. You literally make all of this possible and. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's fine. But if you know somebody you think would like this podcast, do share it with them. That helps out a lot. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show while you're in those show notes, click on the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you'd rather hit me up on social media, I am C.E. Dorset on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. I hope I'm doing a good job with this new software. I hope that the podcast sounds good. I'm still learning how it works, but at least the tests I thought sounded good. And well, I'm not going to know about this until I start doing exports. So hopefully everything's going well. Please let me know what you think about the sound quality and if it is getting better. And yeah, until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye. Bye.